Lord, more than anything else, that we would be humbled from the things and the ideas that, that we come into this place with and that we would come out of here changed down to the core of who Aaron Ottaway is, down to the core of who every single person in Restoration Church is, that my identity would be changed, it would be touched, and that it would be released into every area of my life. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for coming to this earth, not leaving us alone to, to die in our sin, to die in our, uh, our emptiness, our, our, uh, our the nature that we were born with, no hope, no future. God, thank you so much that you came into our space. You moved into our neighborhood so that we could be with you, to have life, to have a future, to have a hope. We pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Wow. I've been up since five, okay? So, uh, so I hope you have a little more energy than I do right now. I am, I, am, I am fueled with coffee and filled with the Holy Spirit after worshiping this morning and uh, ready to go. Some of you look like you need either a little more Holy Spirit or coffee, one or the other. So uh, feel free to do that if you want. Um, and uh, oh, someone is taking advantage of this right now. So way to go, Ryan. The new father is taking advantage of this, which he needs that. Um, if you've got a Bible, we're in the book of Colossians. So turn to the book of Colossians. Uh, which, by the way, if you have not received, Ruth has, whoa, she is holding it right up in the air. If you have not received one of these ESV uh, journaling Bibles, they're awesome. If you have one, hold it up and say, I am using it to take notes if you want. If you don't have one and you want one of those to take notes and follow along with us today, just slip your hand up and Ruth is going to give you one. But you have to promise to use it. Okay? You got to promise to use it if you take one. And if you've already taken one and you lost it, yeah, you can take another one. That's fine. We got some more. We got some more. So that's okay. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. This morning. Before I get there, though, I just want to plug what Colin has already mentioned that we have uh, a few different what Bible studies, what we call connection groups, because we don't think Sunday morning is enough time to spend together in God's Word. Uh, and if that's all you can do, that's great, and, and, and we do what we can. But midweek, every week, we, we have time to gather together in different groups and to go through God's Word together and to hold each other accountable and pray for one another. That is primary, uh, of primary importance for every Christian. Every Christian needs to be in a group with people who are discipling them and they get to disciple other people. That's part of the New Testament commands to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one each other, to fellowship with one another. All of these one another's can be fulfilled in what we call connection groups. As well, if you are new here today and you're, you're not a part of a church and you're not a part of a church body, we would love for you to come and serve. We actually have a membership meeting coming up in just two weeks. 
Uh, I've sent out the information already. If you want that information sent to you, if you didn't get it, please talk to me afterwards. Uh, If you'd like to become a member, a formal member of Restoration Church, or if you're new here and this is just your first day, fill out one of these Connect cards. Uh, Pat Davey is at the back. She's our hospitality person at the back. She's got one of these, so just ask her and fill one of these out. Give it to her. We would love to connect with you and get you serving and uh, maybe even just tell you about Jesus, uh, more about Jesus or baptism, whatever that consists of, we'd love for you to connect with us here at Restoration Church. Like Colin, I don't have a great transition from from that to this. Um, However, I'm going to attempt to do that right now. Um, And I don't like doing this because last week I used a movie illustration and I feel like movie illustrations are kind of a cop-out because you couldn't think of one from personal experience. However, here we go. One of my favorite movies was Christopher Nolan directed Inception. Anyone else? Yes? What a manly movie. Um, I don't know if it's manly or not. That might not be your thing. Legally Blonde might be more your thing. But um, no no judgment. Well, there's a lot, actually, if that is your favorite movie. However, one of my favorite movies is Inception. And... um, And in all of its epicness, and I won't even go over the whole thing, but in all of its epicness and DiCaprio-ness, I don't even know any of the other actors in the movie, but it's an epic movie involving time and what is the purpose of life itself and and chase scenes and, and skiing scenes, not like nice skiing, but like bombs exploding skiing scenes and, and car chases and, fu- and slow motion matrix fighting scenes and, and, and Hans Zimmer soundtrack stuff, like epic stuff going all around in this movie. But the interesting thing about the movie Inception is that all of that epicness actually revolves around a very simple concept. And it all revolves around trying to implant an idea into someone's mind. That's what the entire movie is about. It crescendos. The Hans Zimmer soundtrack crescendos into just trying to convince someone of something that they didn't previously believe. An idea. That's what you spent two hours and some money at the theater watching. Someone trying to convince someone else of an idea. That's what it all revolves around. And Cobb, who is, I think, DiCaprio, this is my favorite quote from the movie. He said this, an idea is like a virus. It's resilient. It's highly contagious. And even the smallest seed of an idea can grow. It can grow to either define you or destroy you. And I think they're onto something here. It's in the premise of the movie. Because today when you come into our church, and you might be thinking, the place that you're in in life, why am I the way that I am? How did I get here? Why do I believe the things that I do? It's because of an idea that has convinced you and it's become a part of you and you've acted upon it. But it all began with an idea that had been communicated to you. What is affecting your life the most are the ideas that have been put into it. That's why you live the life that you do and why the person sitting beside you might live a very different life than you do. 
because an idea will change your life. So today, here's my encouragement to you. We're going to look at some ideas that the Apostle Paul, as he's uh, writing to the, this church of Colossae, that he warns about. However, he's going to give some other more powerful ideas that should solidify their identity in Christ so that they can walk in him. So with that being said, go to either your journaling Bible or your actual Bible. I shouldn't say that because it's the Bible um, or your actual Bible. I won't want to be like those crusty old people that say, you know, go to your Bible or the what is kind of a Bible on your smartphone. It's all Bible. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, I'm going to read to verse 15, and in keeping with tradition, which we are warned about actually in this text, <laughs> we're going to stand and read this from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 15, it says this, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Hey, Thanksgiving. There's a word. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, well, this is getting thick, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands." This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amen? What an awesome verse. Amen? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, and he ends in him. You may be seated. Make sure I say this before I forget. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. It is Thanksgiving weekend, so I'm glad you're here. It's great to see some familiar faces that I haven't seen in a while. So welcome to our church. And uh, we are thinking about and also praying about half of our congregation, which is not here this weekend. So, um, But uh, it, happy Thanksgiving and hope you have a, uh, a, I almost said Mary, that's wrong, holiday. Hope you have a great time with your family. We are not having turkey at all, actually, this weekend. We've had salmon and chicken so far. And we're going to have roast. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, we're not having turkey. I don't know. But from our text, which is really interesting, I didn't plan this at all. It just happens to be that the word Thanksgiving comes up in our text. And I'm not going to give kind of the typical church Thanksgiving message. However, I do want to say this. Thanksgiving is an active response to something that has been done for you. That's what Thanksgiving is. Our active response in a holiday is to stuff ourselves with turkey and mashed potatoes and also to watch football as we reflect upon what people have done for us beforehand. And that is our active Thanksgiving for people who have come before us, for all that they have done for us. In a more real sense, in a more sincere sense, our Thanksgiving as Christians is actually found in this text. If you look at verse 6 and 7, you'll, what you'll find is a whole bunch of passive verbs. And what that means is things that have been done for you that you had no part of. 
In verse 6 and 7, it says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's not something you did. That's something that has been given to you. And then in verse 7, even though the ESV doesn't explain this, it is a passive word, meaning having been rooted and having been built up in the faith and having been established in the faith, just as you were taught. All of those things are not you. You didn't do them. The receiving, the rooting, the building, the establishing were all things that have, and even the teaching from other Christians, were all things that have been done for you by God. Amen? I had no part of that. Yes, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's part of my story. But the rooting, the building, the establishing, all of those things, because I'm a child of God, God has done on my behalf. Not because of my impressiveness or my talent or anything else that I could offer God, but because he did them freely for me, and we call that grace. But here's the cool thing about thanksgiving is there's an active verb in here. You know what it is? The last one. Our response to everything that God has done, we abound in thanksgiving. That's really what the definition of thanksgiving is. Your active response to something that has been done for you. And we abound uncontrollably even in thanksgiving. We are a Baptist church, so that uncontrollably is a little bit fuzzy. (laughs) But that's our active natural response is thanksgiving. And we've already practiced that in worship today through singing, through fellowship, and especially as Colin led us in communion. That's what Thanksgiving is. So happy Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoy your day. I'm not going to end it right there. In fact, I almost, I almost did to end, end it off early, but that's not really what this text is about. Because in verse 6 and 7, if you look at verse 6 especially, the greatest response the one that Paul is actually saying to do, what thanksgiving actually looks like in your life, is found in the command of verse 6. And you know where it, what it is. Just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, finish the verse, so walk in him. That's the command from God to us today, even though this book was written 2,000 years ago. As we have received Christ Jesus the Lord and we have received him today in our worship, so walk in him. Him. That's what we take home with us. If you're ever doing Bible study, you're like, well, how, what, what do we get out of this? You've got to look for what's called, and I'm going to pull, pull you way back to grade four grammar, what's called the imperative. Did people, but that's not grade four grammar. That's got to be higher. I think I learned that in Bible school. But you look for what's the imperative. That's what's telling you. That's the command that you are to go away with. So if you're leading Bible study, look for the imperative. Look for what the Bible is telling you to do. That's from God himself. This is what you're to do with what you've learned. So that just as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And I cannot overstate that that little phrase, walk in him, is definitely the key text of our text today. But I think it's the key text of the entire book of Colossians. We have Hans Zimmer crescendoed. I'm looking right at Ben Martin because he's the music guy. We have crescendoed, Ben's a friend of mine, to this verse, so walk in him. Based on everything else you have learned so far in this book, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. I cannot overstate that this is the key phrase in the entire book. And not only that, but in our text it says, 
in, walk in him in verse 6 and verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You've been filled in him, again in verse, in verse 10, verse 11, in him you were circumcised. And then down at the end, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Being in Christ is one of the foremost concepts found in the Bible that we have to, have to, have to understand and meditate upon. Being in Christ. It's all over our text, but it's all over the book of Colossians as well. It's an amazing term because it's this term that, that, and I love that it's communicated as being in, because it's not just being that Jesus is beside you. It's not that Jesus is just, you know, beside you as a friend walking through life with you, like we're buddies, we're pals. It's not that Jesus is just behind you or in front of you, leading the way in front of me. It's not that he's just above you. He's, he's, he's my Lord. He's, he's sovereign. But that being in Christ, not just Christ in you, but that you as a person are in Christ. Where did my bucket go? It's gone. I had a visual illustration with the bucket. And this is not part of it. The bucket is gone. Ruth is doing everything for me today. Thank you, Ruth. Let's thank our servants today. Thank you so much, Ruth. Awesome. Wow. Thank you, Ruth. I never give visual illustrations, and this is the first time in a long time, and I've failed already. Or someone has taken my illustration from me, I should say. Here's how, though, when we typically look at, and when we've been going through the, our series, but first, comma, Jesus, um, this is how I don't want you to get a misconception of what we mean by that. Because remember first week I had you in your, in your journals or in your note or whatever you do. What are you doing this week? And then in view of that, uh, you've compared, we've compared it with, in verse 18 it says that Jesus might be preeminent. That Jesus might be first in every aspect of your life. And so you could take that, that message that we've been going through in Colossians, that pre awesome preeminence uh, 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 subject or theme in the book of Colossians and do it this way. You could be like, okay, Aaron. I'm, 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 I'm looking at my life. I got, I got school to do this week. And we got school to do this week and all that pertains in school. Yeah, we got a couple people in school. Boom, I got school to do this week. Okay, anyone, anyone got to work this week in some way? That's probably every hand in the room. It's got to work whether at home or at the job. Okay, and all that, all that involves, you got to work. Okay, so um, not only that, I got, I got pets to take care of in my life, Aaron. So all that pertains. Anyone got pets to take care of this week? Uh, you've, I got my kids to take care of, Aaron. So we're going to put that down on the list on my schedule to do this week. I have my wife to take out on a date this week. Right, guys? If you didn't get that, that's what you got to do this week. Um, not only that, but I got housework to do. I got to do the dishes. I got to fold the laundry. I got to clean the floors, which is my task at my house. And then, of course, there's Jesus, okay? Jesus is one of the things on my list that I've got to come to terms with. And what you could do is take away with this, with preeminence, is that, okay, Aaron, before I get to everything else, I'm going to get to Jesus first, 
And then if that's the way you take it, you become this Christian that does their quiet time and then doesn't think about Jesus for the rest of the day. It's like, I've spent some time with Jesus. He's been first in my life, and then nothing else has been affected for the rest of the day. But here's where the, 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 the theme of being in Christ matters so much and why it's so revolutionary to us as Christians. Because being in Christ, if this is symbolizing Christ, what that means is that the way that I do my housework actually is identified by being in Christ. Or the way that I treat my wife is identified by being a Christian, being in Christ. The way that I treat my kids is identified by being in Christ. The way that I treat my pets even Scout is identified by being in Christ. The way that I am at work is being in Christ. The way that I am at school is being in Christ. And all of these things that make up my life are submerged in my identity as a Christian. That is what Colossians is talking about. That's what the Bible talks about when it says, you are to be in Christ. I don't want you to get the wrong impression that we're saying, you know what, in your schedule, your busy schedule of life, make sure Jesus is first. No, we're saying, but first Jesus, make sure Jesus is first in everything that you do. Not that he's just the first one on your list, but that he's a part of and he touches everything on your list. And I love that Paul brings this up at this part of the past, in this part of Colossians. That it touches every area of life and it is affected in every area of life. Colossians 3 also says the same, similarly, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know what that means for you? It means that you can't hide any part of your life from Jesus. It means that you can't withhold any part of your life from Jesus. Anyone ever been uncomfortable with that? I know I have. It's been a little bit painful. Jesus trying to rule every area of my life. That everything, though, is submerged or touched by Jesus. I have so many visual illustrate. I went over. I went overboard. <laughs> you got my marker? Throw me my marker. I seem kind of loud too. Can you turn me down a little bit? Am I a little loud? Yeah. Turn me down. Now that I stood in front of that speaker, I'm a little bit loud. There's Liam. There he is. Haley's turning me down. Is that better? A little better? Better? Perfect. I have so many visual illustrations today. It's like, it's like the next one's it's gonna come at you from a place you don't even expect. It's gonna appear on the. Would that be? Look under your chairs. No, I didn't fool anyone, so you guys are smarter. Um, being in Christ, I think, is explained in, in the best way in, in, in the word. We use it a lot in church. Being in Christ, we use it a lot in church, but I think it's best explained in this word. That is your identity. That's what being in Christ means. That it affects everything that you do in this life, therefore it is your identity. We call that an identity. Which just means simply the fact of being who or what a person or thing here is. And, and 
I love that Paul goes there here in Colossians because we've been learning so much about Jesus and then last week we looked at how a Jesus first lifestyle led Paul even to a prison cell to suffer greatly so that the churches would mature and so that every individual Christian would mature in their faith. That's what a Jesus first lifestyle looked like to Paul. But now as Paul transitions to the church and to Restoration Church today, therefore as you've received Christ, so walk in him. He is establishing first an identity. It's not like he's going through a list of things. Okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, and don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. By the way, he's going to get there. But first, he says, I want your identity to be in Christ. That it affects every area of your life. Because, here's what I truly believe. I truly believe this. Your identity leads to actions. Your actions are not random. They come out of who you believe you are. Your identity leads to actions because you cannot act, you can't consistently act differently than who you are. Nikki and I went down to Outer Banks, North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. There's something about the southern United States, Virginia, Carolinas, that is enticing to me. I don't know what it is. You cross into there, you get into the mountains, you hear the accent where the, you know, they're starting to slur their, word, <laughs> slur their words. We make fun of the southern United States, but I am enticed by it. It's like I, I go down there and I wake up the next morning and I think, I want to have some grits, you know? Give me some grits. <laughs> and what else do they serve at Cracker Barrel? I don't know, like grits and buttermilk pancakes. I, I want the southern United States... What's the other thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I want the southern bar. I, I want to start wearing a camo hat and buy a gun and a truck. Like, I want to, want to do all of these things. I shouldn't have said gun. But you just, in, cause you just become a part of that, that Carolinian identity. That everyone's driving a truck, everyone's wearing camo, so therefore I want to be a part of that. However, we were only there for a week and... You get back to Canada and you realize, no, I don't want to buy a truck. I don't want to buy a gun. I don't want to wear camo. It's not who I am. I'm a true red Canadian. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not who I am. Here's what, here's what we take from our text, though, and what, where I'm going with this. Some of you are trying to change your actions, but your identity hasn't changed. You can't consistently change your actions without changing your identity. I can't be a Carol, Carol, North Carolina person if I tried until I actually was there and then started adopting that identity. In fact, those who immigrate over to Canada, it takes a long time to actually develop a Canadian identity and for them to start acting and, and being a part of the culture. Identity leads to action. Those who have received Jesus Christ, here's your intention. It's to be so submerged in Jesus that it can't help but come out of you. That you wouldn't even try to act like a Christian because that's just who you are. And that's what growth is. That's why we do, that's why we don't just gather together in, in small groups and just are kind to one another and love each other. Which some churches do that, and I'm not like bashing that, I and mean, I think we do that. However, we gather to do Bible study because I really believe this. 
You can't do this without having that consistently. So we are thankful for an increasing Jesus identity. That's what Paul is talking about. And now you might think, happy Thanksgiving, have a great weekend. No, no, no. I've been trying to shorten my sermons. We're going to get there. Because look at the next verse. Because however, Paul is very concerned. The author of the book is very concerned about something that pertains to their identity in Jesus. That for this church of the Colossians, that even though they are in Christ... For this Colossian church plant, like we looked at in the first week, which, by the way, if you want to track with us, and there's some who are here that have been tracking through us on our Spotify podcast page or on our website, restorationchurch.ca, you can follow along through through us through this series, through Colossians. But the Colossian church plant was under intense pressure, like we are today, to fill our lives with meaningful experiences. It's like a sales tactic from a religious or experiential sales tactic to fill our lives with with meaningful experiences and because of that intense pressure that they went through and that we go through Paul not only gives them the imperative to walk in him but he also says in the next verse 8 here's the only other imperative in this entire text see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ This is the other thing we have to pay attention to, church. So walk in him. Make sure your identity is rooted in Jesus. That's where it starts if you want to change your actions. However, see to it that no one takes you captive. It's like, whoa, we were talking about identity. This is nice. And all of a sudden you start, like, throwing military terms at us. That no one takes you as plunder, ripping you away from your identity in Jesus to be under someone else's identity, which reminds us that the fight for our identity in Jesus is going to be just that. It's going to be a fight. The Bible never promises that this is going to be an easy process. It's going to be something you will fight for. Or else... We are taken as plunder and become someone else's. We see that in the Bible. We've talked about this a little bit, that in the nation of Israel, those, they had their ident- specific cultural identity that revolved around the worship of Yahweh and in the temple and, and all of their cultural morals and practices that was a part of being an Israelite. Then they were taken over by another nation known as Babylon, Maybe you've seen VeggieTales or actually read your Bible to see that. Another nation called Babylon where not only was their freedom taken from them, but when they were dragged back to the city of Babylon, they were forced to adopt the culture of the people that they were now under. So not only did they lose their freedom, but they lost their identity. Same thing happens even in a, a, a more, uh, an example that we kind of understand that, that we're just coming out of in the last hundred years, but the African slave trade, not only were Africans torn away from the, cult, the culture that they, they had grown up in to serve someone else, they were dragged away from Africa to North America or Western Europe, and what is well documented, forced to adopt the culture of their slave masters. Again, not only did they lose their freedom, They lost their identity for who they were. 
And Paul says the same thing can happen to a church through, and I put this up there because there's a lot going on in this verse. There's a ton going on in this verse. Paul describes it in one word. This thing that's trying to take you captive, what, how does he describe it? It's called a philosophy. Now, when we hear the word philosophy, we think of some higher end learning where you have to smoke a pipe and think of really high sounding nonsense, right? Big, using really big, lofty words. And actually, this has actually been used wrongly where Christians have sometimes seen this philosophy as being like, you don't need knowledge or reason, it's anti-Christian. Just believe in Jesus. Because philosophy is anti-Christian. That's not what this is saying. Those of you who read philosophical books, fear not. That's not what this is saying. Philosophy is just a word that's very broad that could virtually mean any system of thought or ideas, whether good or bad. In fact, Christianity would have been described in that day as a philosophy. It's a system of ideas or, th or thoughts that is communicated. Now, it's not named what philosophy this was that threatened this little church. However, it was probably a mix of a whole bunch of things like we still face today, a mix of a whole bunch of different ideas that threaten to rip our identity away from us. However, it is defined by three things at the end. According to human tradition, which just means mere human speculation that this is from people, not God. Secondly, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Wow, when you read that some of you might read that and be like, I'm just going to the next verse. <laughs> forget, forget this verse. I am, someone else is going to meditate on that. I'm going to the next one. Like, are we going to get out the table of elements and start like, there's spirit? Anyway, I'm going way too far. Um, admittedly, it's a confusing phrase, even in the original Greek. Uh, however, it's important because we're going to see it again in verse 20. That Paul warns about. However, what I believe it refers to is that not only elemental spirits, but it could be elemental principles that we live in in this world, like air, water, sun, moon, stars, all of these elements that we live under in our world. And what you have to understand is that the ancient world was in constant fear of the elements, so much so that they actually made them into gods. You know, the Greek mythology, it's all based on elements that they were afraid of. We don't give them names. We are still in constant fear of the elements, whether that be the party that we didn't vote for or whether that be this person shall be not be named, the sharks that swam in North Carolina. <laughs> they were scared to go out into the ocean. Not my wife, actually, my brother. Um, or whatever it might be, constant fear of what you cannot control in your life. That's what it's talking about. Poet Hausman said it this way, I, a stranger and afraid in a world I never made. There were powers that exhibit control over our lives and that's why things were rampant like astrology and magic and enchantment. Do you think Harry Potter made this stuff up? It's been around for thousands of years. But it was out of fear in order to appease the gods of those elements, right? for luck, love, or 
good vibes, whatever that means. But the third characteristic was that it was not according to Christ. It was not meant to lead someone to Christ, but in fact lead them away from Christ, which is consistent with its defining characteristic when it says captive by philosophy and empty deceit, meaning it is devoid of the value that's promised, but it's also not obvious, even pseudo-Christian. Now, that was, a lot of, that was a lot of information about this verse. And it is, there's a lot coming at us. But here's the warning summed up that Paul is giving. We can be taken captive by an idea that threatens to undermine your Jesus identity. Let me get very applicable in how this could look like in your life. And I need to ask for permission because I've talked about this actually. But there are some, even personality types or even what's called very popular right now amongst young people called the Enneagram that supposes that there are nine types of people. Now, I'm not saying you're sinning by looking up Enneagram or being like, I'm a four, great. I've done it too. However, I have heard some Christians say this that are really into the Enneagram. I've heard some Christians say this, and ex to excuse their foolish, even wrong behavior, they have said, well, I can't help it, I'm a four. What just happened? That identity just pulled them away from their identity in Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul is warning about in this passage. Could be a personality test, it's not my... I don't know, Myers-Briggs or whatever, whatever it is. That's just the way that I am. But Jesus says, no, you are not to be that way. So it could be a personality. It could be political, which is very applicable to us right now, that if your guy doesn't get, get in, we've lost control of the elements. The world's going to pot. God is no longer in control. Whether, you might not say that, but you might believe it. And what has just happened, your political identity just trumped your Jesus identity. And this one really hits home for me and probably you. Some of you get the idea that if you lose your family, you're missing something in this life. And your family identity just trumped your Jesus identity. And you can never let them go. And I would be amiss to not, even, to not bring this up, but our world has thrown the idea at us that your worth is, depends on who you are attracted to, which leads to confusing sexual identity. Here's the point that we're talking about today. Your identity determines your actions, but what determines your identity? To various actions. What determines your identity? Our often, many and often competing ideas. Ideas determine who you are, which therefore leads to what you do. And that's why I think so many people are confused about who they even are because they are getting so many different and competing ideas about what they should be. They're hearing one thing from a church, but one thing from a show, another thing from their prof, they have no idea who they are, and therefore, they have no idea what to do with their life. Because ideas, the ideas are confusing. So how do you know? 
here's what is consistent. Here's what is consistent that underlies all that we've said. The idea that Satan wants to put into your head, that he put into the head of Adam and Eve, that he tried to put into the head of Jesus, that he's trying to put into the head of the church of Colossae, that he tries to put in the head of every person of Restoration Church, that despite God's love, his grace, his mercy, his sacrifice, the gifts, the friends, the ch- your church, your life, your very breath, that despite all of those things, Satan is trying to infiltrate your mind with the idea that something is still missing. It's the same idea that he tried to convince Adam and Eve with something. You've got all of these amazing things that God has given you. Something's still missing, though. And that's why I believe that even in college especially, our young people are drifting away from the Christian faith because they do not know how to compete with all of the ideas that are coming from their professors, from their friends, because all we focused on is what you do and do not do and haven't actually built up an identity and given people a powerful enough idea of what it means to be in Christ so that even in college they would stand firm. So what do we need? We need the right idea, and I don't have time to really go, th- go through. I'm just going to touch on these things. And I love what Paul does because Paul gives not, okay, this is what you're to do and this is what you're not to do. He doesn't do that. He says, this is who you are. This is what it means to be in Christ. He will give a more powerful one that will defend you from the lies of the devil. Three ideas of being in Christ that you can take away, and you can look at them in more detail this afternoon. First one, verses 9 and 10. For in him... This is your identity. This is what it means to be in Christ. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The first thing that you have to, the first idea that is more powerful, that should defeat any other idea that comes into your head, that you need to meditate on, that you need to say to yourself every day, that in Christ, you as a Christian are not lacking in any sense. You are not lacking in any sense. You've been giving everything that you need for life and godliness in this world today. It's simply saying that Jesus is not lacking in any sense of God. Jesus is fully God. And him, and you are not lacking in any sense of Jesus. You are full of Jesus who is full of God. Therefore, God, you are full of God. You are not lacking in any way. The ideas that come into your head that say you are lacking, maybe from your church, maybe from your family, are lies. You need nothing else other than Jesus Christ. Secondly, and I, I wish I could expand this, secondly, look what it says in verse, uh, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Not only in Christ are you not lacking in any sense, in Christ you live a new communal cause. And I don't have time to explain everything, but he brings up all of a sudden out of nowhere circumcision, which was a communal identity. I am a part of these people through this practice. And I love that he brings in baptism because that's what baptism is today, still in our churches. It's not just me and God. It's you are identifying with the people of God saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm part of you guys now. Not just between me and Jesus. I'm part of you. 
you live a new communal cause through the death, burial, and resurrection. In a sense, through faith and baptism, you have been spiritually circumcised. You're part of a new identity. Don't believe the lie, guys, that of unlimited self-determinism that your decision on your own that you make is the best one for your life. That is wrong. It's an idea that you need to fight every single day before it takes you captive. But you are part of a new communal cause. That's why Jesus invented churches so that we could serve him together, so that we could grow together, so that we could fight together the ideas that are coming into our church that are lies. Thirdly, lastly, and I wish I could expand, but it says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Lastly, guys, in Christ, your accusers have lost their power. Your accusers have lost their power. Do you know that without Christ, there would be a record of debt so high against you that someone would be knocking at your door, uh, wanting you thrown in jail, wanting your, wanting your head because there was so much that you could never pay back. Some of you actually probably, maybe you're trying to get out of uh, crushing debt in your life and you're trying to look for a light at the end of the tunnel. Imagine there being no light. There was no way you could get out of the immense debt that was leveled against you. However, Jesus, through his death, by him being nailed on the cross, your debt was also nailed to that cross. Wiped clean. No one can come knocking at your door. No one can demand payment because Jesus has already pay- paid it for you. I love the verse from It Is Well With My Soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin... Not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Not only that, your accusers have been disarmed. And Jesus has put them to open shame as they did used to do back in Roman times by triumphing over them in him. Guys, if your identity is rooted in Jesus, no one can take that away from you. No one has power over you. The only power that they have is to get you away from the victor. And they'll fight to get you away from him. But if your identity is rooted firmly in Jesus, there's nothing that they can do to you. The team is going to come and lead us in a final song. Jesus, who was our living hope. You see, The devil from the very beginning has been trying to infiltrate our minds and our souls with an idea that would crush us, an idea that says God is not enough. You're still missing something in this life apart from God. Before that, though, there was an idea that has trickled down through human history, through creation, through the establishment of mankind, even to the coming of Christ himself, that God wanted fellowship with mankind. In fact, made them in his image so that he could be with them and not even sin itself could stop him from trying to be with, with us. 
is an idea more powerful than even sin and dissatisfaction itself. And that's why we stand and sing this song and our, song, and our faith is still based on that living hope. So why don't we stand? We're gonna close singing this song, Living Hope.